Talking sports as they report Back and forth from their home court They talk the sports if you're not sure They talk of sports and then talk more About all sports East, West, South, North Ryan talks sports Andrew retorts And Torch will hear as they both sort Through all the sports they both support The Walk-Ons What's up guys? This is Ryan Reeves Welcome to the Walk-Ons Podcast It is Friday, June 18th, 2021 And we've got a stack show The NBA news will not stop uh, the Major League Baseball sticky situation is getting stickier. Maybe we'll touch on College World Series. Uh, who knows? We, we're just going to go off the cuff because my guy here, Kevin Carlin, is joining me today in place of Andrew Schuster. Welcome back, Kevin. I love you, buddy. Good to see you. Hey, Ryan. It's great to be back. Thanks so much for having me today. Oh, man. This is going to be fun. And I also, also, I should mention, I think I buried the lead. We've got two-time Super Bowl champion with the Pittsburgh Steelers, Ike Taylor, is our guest today. We're going to get to that later. But as I mentioned, I mean, the NBA news, Kevin, is coming fast and furious. The coaching carousel is already well underway. Stan Van Gundy out in New Orleans. Scott Brooks out in Washington. Uh, Rick Carlisle stepping down with the Mavs the other day. John Calipari now is back in the news because he might leave Kentucky and come to the NBA. I think that's maybe something for a later day. I just wanted to kind of touch on it. I want to start here. I want to start with the trade that came down today, Celtics, OKC, the Celtics, and it's it, what a bold move for, what a way to kick off the front office career of Brad Stevens, trades their starting point guard, Kemba Walker, to OKC, also with the number 16 pick in the draft, acquired Al Horford and Moses Brown and, and some peanuts of draft picks. So, you know, for me, this is an in interesting deal, right? It seemed like Kemba Walker can't stay healthy, Kevin. Um, he missed what 45 games this year certainly they had to kind of make a change but dealing him to OKC for and giving him a first rounder just to take him I mean OKC's got basically everybody's draft pick now what, what do you make of this deal who do, who do you think came out as a winner just on day one yeah I mean I like what OKC is doing um, you know the Celtics do get Horford and Moses there are some people that see some promise in Moses as a young big um, but you know I don't know his name game well enough to, to say whether or not uh, he's going to be a huge asset in the future for the Celtics. But you and I both know money and contracts are, are driving this deal. Um, obviously, they're still picking up a pretty big contract in Horford, but not quite as big as Kemba's deal. So they do shred, shed some payroll and cap, create some cap space. Um, I, I, you know, I see what the Celtics are doing. I don't have any strong feelings one way or the other, except to say that you know, it'll be interesting to see what comes next, especially from OKC. You know, I think Kemba is not going to stay there. I think this is, uh, there's going to be another deal in the future and we'll see what they get for him. But at some point, OKC needs to take some of these draft picks and actually get some talent on the floor, right? You know, rebuilding is great, but you know, at some point you have to convert these people into players. So they do have a lot of assets. It'll be interesting to see what both teams continue to do in the, in the off season. Yeah, I think that's interesting, right? I think from Boston's standpoint, this is just the first domino to fall. But Sam Presti over there in OKC, I mean, the guy's got about 150 draft picks over the next four years. And it's like you said, right? I, I don't think Kemba Walker is, is going to stay there for long. I think they're going to flip him. They're going to probably flip him for more draft picks. But at some point, you can't just put cardboard cutouts of, of college basketball players on the floor, right? You're going to have to field the team. So very interested to see what OKC does with that move and with those draft picks. But let's talk about some teams that are actually still playing in the playoffs. 
Bucks Nets. We've got game seven coming Saturday. Uh, we had a spirited discussion between myself and Andrew Schuster last week. And really, you know, I kind of put my foot in my mouth. I, I said, the Nets are world beaters. It, we talked about super teams. I really think the Nets are bad for the NBA because it's a super team that really just can't be stopped, right? Nobody likes the, vi- everybody likes a villain, but nobody likes the villain who just beats everybody, right? But then of course, Kyrie Irving, the ankle injury, the Bucks get back into the series. KD had an epic performance on Tuesday night uh, doing what KD does. But what do you make of this series thus far? Who do you like in game seven? I mean, this has been, and it's just been a fascinating series, right? So the first two games, Brooklyn absolutely eviscerated the Bucs and it looked like it was going to be a sweep. I mean, home court wouldn't matter for the Bucs in game three, but of course the Harden injury came along and all of a sudden the Bucs, you know, were able to weather the storm. They picked up a key close victory in game three. You know, people may forget already that that was a very close game. The Nets could have grabbed that one, but they didn't. And now, you know, uh, the Bucs are, are very alive heading into game seven. You know, I think Chris Middleton's been playing great. Um, you know, Giannis needs some help, and he's he's getting it from Chris Middleton. But, gosh, Drew Holiday has just not shown up for the Bucks in the postseason. He's been completely absent. And, you know, he's a guy who averaged 18 points in the regular season. So where's he been? Um, you know, from the Nets side of things, you know, Harden looks pretty limited at this point. He's certainly not playing at full speed. Um, he's still savvy. He still knows where to go with the ball. But you can see – his body can't quite get him to the places he's usually used to going. So I I think it's anyone's game. I do not see the Nets as a decisive favorite at all. It wouldn't shock me at all to see the Bucs go in there and take it. And in fact, I'm going to, I'm going to predict that that's what happens. I just think um, Kevin Durant's been playing out of his mind, but you know, the Nets haven't been getting enough from their supporting cast guys like Harris haven't been uh, stepping up. So, you know, I have a feeling, just a weird feeling the Bucs might be able to do this tomorrow night. We'll see. But I think it's going to be a close game and an exciting one. And how much fun are these game sevens? They're awesome. I love a game seven. That is a bold prediction from my guy, Kevin Carlin, coming cold off the bench after two months of a hiatus, and he's picking bucks on the road in game seven. I love it. Look, one more thing about this, Kevin. You, you, you can point at Drew Holiday, right? The reason why they got him was supposed to put the bucks over the top from a defensive standpoint, adding scoring. He's kind of been non-existent. Yes, Chris Middleton has been good. But I think the, the interesting, most interesting story for me is sort of this sheen that has been kind of pulled off of Giannis a little bit, right? He's kind of been thrown under the bus for his performance. Everyone wants to talk about how long it takes him to shoot a free throw. There's a funny video about James Harden basically losing his shit uh, because it took so long. But um, I think the interesting point, do you think it's warranted that Giannis is maybe kind of wearing some heat here? And I think the other thing, right, and this is just sort of an armchair quarterback in me, but if I'm out there, I'm looking at the defensive alignment from the Bucks and Giannis is nowhere to be found near KD. Giannis is guarding a Joe Harris or, you know, somebody, Bobby Brown, Bruce Brown, whatever you want to call him, Mr. Brown. Don't you think that maybe the one quickest change that you could make is, hey, say, hey, Giannis, you're, you're man-to-man with KD. Just go get him. Yeah, I love that. And, you know, it's interesting, too, to look at Giannis, uh, his, you know, his offensive game. You know, he obviously prefers to drive to the basket and get, get close. And that's a great move for the playoffs. But you know, at the same time, if a guy's playing four or five feet off you and begging you to shoot that mid-range and prove that you can make it, that's something I'd really like to see him work on in the offseason. I mean, uh, you know, Magic Johnson famously years ago, you know, really struggled from the outside. And so defenders started playing off of him. And so one one offseason, all Magic Johnson did was shoot outside. And all of a sudden, he turned a weakness into a strength. I'd like to see Giannis. He's on a max contract. He's a star of the league. 
one of the top five stars of the league. It would be nice to see him in the offseason go to work on that. And he, by the way, he's not the only one that might want to think about developing an outside shot. I don't know if it's too late for Ben Simmons of the 76ers, but I'm jumping the gun and getting to the next series we'll probably talk about. No, that's a good lead in because let's go right into it. Uh, Hawks, Sixers, of course, we also talked about this last week and I was put on blast by Andrew Schuster because I said the Hawks are going to win the series despite the Sixers being, you know, basically the, the much, much better team on paper. And of course, the Sixers go out and blow a 26 point lead at home in game five. Um, ben Simmons shrunk in the moment, eight points, four for 14, which just cannot happen. I don't care if you're the worst shooter in the world, if you're a star on a team who's supposed to contend for a title, you cannot just score eight points in a critical game. Uh, I think from that standpoint, I want to focus more on the Hawks, right? I think the collapse is, is hilarious from the Sixers standpoint, but I mean, the Hawks, no, no all-stars, nobody on the first, second, third team, all NBA, no defensive, all defensive team players. And now here they are just, you know, moving along. I mean, they took care of the Knicks. They got a real chance to close out the Sixers here, I think tonight or tomorrow. Um, you know, are the Hawks a legitimate championship contender in your mind, Kevin? Well, now I do. Yeah, absolutely. I think so. And I think that was a bold and great prediction on your part to pick the Hawks. Um, you know, I do think the storylines, <laughs> there's so many great storylines here. I mean, think about this, you know, the, the epic collapse of the 76ers, Seth Curry and Joel Embiid were the only 76ers to score a field goal in the second half. I mean, just stop and reflect on that for a second and think about what an astounding stat that is to think about. That is, that is just unbelievable. Um, and then think about this storyline that's kind of there, and it's probably because of my Clipper uh, thing, but Lou Williams and Gallinari were key players in that comeback, and they were doing it against their former coach, Doc Rivers, who coached both of them with the Clippers. So those, there's so many interesting storylines there, but an epic collapse, and, and the, worst, the worst city to have a collapse in. And unfortunately, Ben Simmons right now is taking all that heat um, you know, he obviously struggled from the foul line. He doesn't have an outside shot to complement his game. And, you know, when you're a max contract guy like that, you know, and you have issues with your game, fans today are, and, and your teammates are probably expecting you to work on those things. So Ben Simmons has a to-do list in the offseason. I'm not sure if the 76ers lose this series that they're going to want to get rid of Ben Simmons. But if they do, they're going to be selling him at a very low value point. Um, it would be kind of a fire sale and it'd be interesting to see where Ben Simmons would go from here. But, you know, to show you the impact of the 76ers collapse, I've already seen online a bunch of uh, potential trades for Joel Embiid. I mean, it, this whole thing is just going to be crushing to the city, the fans, the players, the coaches. So it, a fascinating game later today, game six, can Atlanta close them out at home? And I think they've got a big shot to do it. I think the psyche of the 76ers right now is fragile and, um, you know, we'll see what happens. Yeah, certainly never a good time to implode in a critical game five of a playoff series. Absolutely unquestionable, undeniable. You cannot do it in Philly because you will get eviscerated and that is just a problem. But Kevin, let's go to one more series. And I know you've got this one teed up your, your beloved Clippers, Clippers jazz. Look outside of just what, what is really happening from an, a health standpoint in the NBA, right? you got nine all-star, nine potential all-stars who are going to miss games in the playoffs. That's another story inside of itself. But the Clippers, of course, without Kawhi, Paul George had a huge game five, kind of quieting some of those playoff P uh, haters a little bit. But, you know, he went for 37 and 16. What's, 
what's sort of your take with the Clippers? Because for me, they're the biggest enigma of the playoffs so far. I don't want, I don't know what I'm going to get from the Clippers day in and day out, game in, game out. Yeah, and, and it's understandable, right? Their history over the years has been just that. And I think this team was built with a lot of expectations. I mean, you've got two bona fide, you know, big time all-stars in Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. The, the, the real interesting thing here is the Clippers, you know, depth is really showing now is that if you look at some of the supporting cast, look at some of the offseason moves the Clippers made. My God, this is not the Clipper team of last year. And I'll tell you why. This year, you know, you've got huge contributions from guys like Nico Batum and Reggie Jackson. And, you know, Marcus Morris Sr. is, you know, he's been as inconsistent as Paul George has been in the past. You know, but when Marcus Morris Sr. is playing well, this team is really tough to beat. I do love a good redemption story. I think PG-13 took all the heat last year for the Clippers collapse. I will say that some of that was unwarranted. I think there was plenty of blame to go around. If you really wanted to look at why the Clippers lost last year, a big part of it was the dreadful matchup between Montrez Harrell and Jokic, the Joker in the post. I mean, uh, Montrez Harrell's plus and minus last year in that series, well, he set a record that will never be broken. It's an it's a number that is too big for me to even remember at this time. But um, I'm going to the game tonight. I'm so excited to see if the Clippers can step into this rarefied air of a Western Conference final. Um, but, you know, they have to do it. They have to get it done tonight. I would not want to go back to Utah. And, um, you know, so the, the Clippers, you know, they're trying, to, they're trying to go where they've never gone before. So we'll see if they can do it. I think they'll get it done. Um, it will be interesting, too, to see if the crowd can have an impact tonight because, um, you know, throughout these first two rounds of the playoffs, the Clippers have had a 5,000 or so, you know, COVID-limited audience. Now, tonight, it should be back to full strength. So we'll see. That's something to take note of. Take a note, too, of, you know, how the Clippers start tonight. I think the first five minutes are going to be important. Um, you know, not necessarily put the Jazz away, but don't fall behind early because then, it's going to get, I think it'll, it, this team could have a little bit of a fragile psyche, you know, when it comes to falling behind at home in a pivotal game six, that that's something I wouldn't want to see. Yep. Huge, huge game tonight. And hopefully Kevin, you can turn the tides of history because for those of you scoring at home, the LA Clippers are officially 0 and 8 in closeout games of the Western conference Finals on the line. So Kevin, maybe you can turn the tide. Maybe you're the lucky charm. I hope you are buddy, but we got a lot more to get to, but we've got Ike Taylor, Pittsburgh Steelers legend coming up right after this. All right, joining us today is a two-time Super Bowl champ, a fellow podcaster. He's got Believe in Steelers podcast. He's a cigar connoisseur. He's got his own cigar line, one of a kind with Howard Cigars, a proud Raging Cajun, Pittsburgh Steelers legend. It's Ike Taylor. Ike, how are you, man? Man, I'm on a right podcast because that's exactly what I did when I went to college. I had to walk home. I love it, man. Hey, us too. This is, this is, uh, it's all about, you know, earning your way on, but I think you've done more than, than earn everybody's respect uh, as a former Steelers legend, man. And I got to tell you, we are very excited to have you on. Maybe none more so than my, my co-host here, Kevin Carlin, who is a proud Steelers fan, but let's get right into it, Ike. So some of the big stories, obviously coming away from mini camp that, that are getting started, Aaron Rodgers. Look, we've stated a few times on this. I'm already sick of this saga, right? There's the backstabbing, the GM talking about Aaron, Aaron talking about what he wants. Look, at the end of the day, you had Packer uh, Nick Collins on your show. He said, you know, Rodgers kind of wants what Tom Brady had in Tampa, right? Look, I don't know if he's going to get that from certainly from Green Bay. Maybe he deserves it. He probably does. But 
What's your take of this whole situation? I mean, are we really looking at the Jordan Love or, God forbid, the Blake Bortles era in Green Bay? Does does Aaron get a trade maybe to Denver somewhere else? What's your take on the whole situation? I mean, if I'm Aaron Rodgers, when I talk about anything on the offensive side, what else do I want? You know, I got I got a running back who can get 1,200 yards a game. He can come out of the backfield and give me 400 yards receiving. I got arguably the number one or two receiver in the, in the in football. Devontae. So yeah. you, you you talk about tight ends. I probably got one of the top five tight ends in 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 football. Um, I'm still in enough shape to where I'm mobile. So regardless of my offensive line, at least I can move and still make plays. What else you want? What else you want? So you put a you put a you put a you put a Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers situation. I mean, you put them on the Packers, it might be a different story. You know what I'm saying? So that's that's how I look at the Aaron Rodgers situation. Like you can only take care of what you got. You can only control what you have in front of you. Everything outside of you, you really can't control. It's like it's like us trying to control the weather. There is no way we can can control the weather. We just got to make do of what we have, whether it's rain, sleet, or snow. And I feel like Aaron Rodgers, dude, he he got a nice situation, man. His receiving core, he he doesn't have a bad receiving core. For sure, he doesn't have a bad backfield when it comes down to two running backs. He doesn't have a bad tight end. And the defense isn't bad at all. So I'm looking at AR, AR-12 like, bro, what else you need? Because I know if you put Tom Brady with the Packers, man, he might mess around and win and win another Super Bowl because he understands you can't have everything, you know. But what Aaron Rodgers have is just enough. So from, from my perspective, I'm just looking at it from a player standpoint. Like, Aaron, what else you need from the offensive side? That's interesting, right? I mean, yeah, you, you put it on the head, right? You've got Aaron Jones in the backfield. You've got Robert Tanyan, who came on last year. You've got Devontae Adams. I mean, they're two years removed from an NFC Championship game. They went to the playoffs last year. Uh, so it sounds kind of, to me, like you're saying, maybe Aaron Rodgers should just shut up and, and get back to business in Green Bay. Is that right? Hey, you, you can't worry about the front office. The front office, the, the front office job is to always try to replace you because they always got to look forward. So when I was with the Pittsburgh Steelers, they drafted a cornerback every year. <clears throat> and Kevin Colbert told me every year, heck, I'm trying to replace you. So I understood the business side of it. And every time he drafted a corner, I got him down, we worked out together because I had to play with, I had to play with him anyway. But I felt like, man, I was always going to outwork whoever they drafted. But what I was going to show him was how to be a professional. And I was just going to let my play, whether I felt like you was more talented than me or not, I was going to play more consistent than you. And that's what Aaron Rodgers have over, you know, a young Jordan Love. He can always play more consistent than Jordan Love. He can always give the Green Bay Packers a chance to win. So um, I don't think the beef, well, I know the beef ain't with Jordan Love. I think Aaron understands the relationship it is with Jordan Love and himself, he respects Jordan Love, but, you know, just let the front office be the front office. I ain't got to care about the front office. I win this Super Bowl, that's going to buy me one or two years, so I don't care about the front office at the same time. So I, I, I really don't know what it is. 
I'm just looking at Aaron and I'm looking at his his roster from an offensive standpoint. Like, bro, you got a nice little offense, bro. It's a lot of quarterbacks that wouldn't mind having the pieces to that puzzle when it comes down to the offensive side. Yeah, I think that's very fair. I mean, shit, it's it's the NFL. Everybody's playing for their job every single year. But so you mentioned some playmakers on the offensive side there in Green Bay, right? Obviously, Devontae Adams, one of the best wide receivers in the NFL. Let's let's talk about another huge wide receiver who is still one of the best in the NFL. Julio Jones is now in Tennessee. He's rocking that number two. Uh, I love this tweet that you recently had about Julio and A.J. Brown, quote, tight end bodies at wide receiver. Good luck to the guys trying to tackle them. Hey, man, that's fair, right? You you did. You had a couple years overlap with Julio Jones. I don't think you guys ever ever went toe-to-toe, but you look at guys like A.J. Brown, Julio, D.K. Metcalf. I mean, do you feel like you, maybe you got out of the league at the right time with these beefy-ass wide receivers out there now? Man, y'all forgot I had David Boston. Oh, yeah. David he was Boston like two. Ohio State. He was like 260. <laughs> y'all forgot I had uh, Eric Moles. Eric Moles was like 230 from Buffalo. Y'all forgot I had Randy Moss, Hall of Famer. Like, y'all forgot I was going against Brandon Marshall. Ain't nothing small about Brandon Marshall. Oh, no. You know, Larry Fitzgerald ain't nothing small. I'm talking about Larry Fitzgerald in his prime when he was breaking Jerry Rice records in the playoffs. Or Larry Fitzgerald. Um, uh, Andre Johnson, like y'all just, y'all forgetting. <laughs> Y'all no, just... we, don't, we don't forget, man. We never forget. But I, I guess maybe here's a better question. Out of those guys, I mean, those are some dogs now that you mentioned. Who's your who's the toughest cover for you personally in your career? All of them was tough. Like all of them boys brought something different to the table. So that's that's just in every walk of life through every human being. Everybody gonna bring something different to the table. So I mean, y'all saying Julio D, DK DK Metcalf and and the rest of these guys, and I get it, the A.J. Browns, they got tight end bodies. But I just named four five receivers with tight end bodies when I played, you know? So that's just how it is, man. In the league, man, you got 32 teams. At least five of the teams going to have some, some, some wide receivers with tight end bodies. That's just, <laughs> that's just all pro guys. That's just what it is. So... You know, you just you just got to find them when you draft them. But, man, I respected everybody. And the guys, um, Larry going to the Hall of Fame. Randy already in the Hall of Fame. If David Boston would have been healthy, he would have been in the Hall of Fame if he would have stayed healthy and clean. Andre Johnson, Tom, Andre Johnson, Tom Mattel, whether he go to the Hall of Fame or not. Man, I played against I I played against some Hall of Famers. Like it's it's crazy. We we even talking about that. The young the young man. What's what's my young receiver? Playful. Uh, Vince Vincent 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 Johnson, who just died from from Tampa. My yeah. young buck. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was a tight end body. He he was like six four, two thirty five, two forty. Vincent Jackson. Yes. So. Bro, I, I played. I played against. I played against a young Mike Evans. Like, I played against some young stuff. Like, <laughs> I played against some young stuff. So I played tight end bodies. That was, that was, that was crazy. Since we're talking about it, but you know, hey, Ike, these- Ike, can you take us through? This is Kevin. Now, I'm a huge Steeler fan. We so appreciate you joining us on the walk-ons today. Can you take us back to 2003? As a fourth-round draft pick, you know, out of Louisiana Lafayette, you walk in the Steeler uh, training camp, 
you know, did you have a little bit of a chip on your shoulder? Um, maybe you had a dust up or two, a, a fight or two with a fellow teammate. Um, talk about the competition um, trying to break into the Pittsburgh Steelers secondary. Oh, man, our secondary line, Kel, for training camp, it was like 18 deep, you know, for training camp. For training camp, man. So, you know, everybody looking at me like, okay, one, he'll walk on, two, he only played that position for one year. When the hell he know about football when it comes down to a football standpoint? I didn't go to a big D1 school and nobody knew my name. There was no such things at my time as a five, four, three-star you know, recruit. But what I did have, I had a big ass heart and I was a damn dog. So I was hitting everything that moved regardless of whether it was Jerome Bittis or offensive lineman or receiver. And if you beat me once, we fight the second time if I felt like you got, if I felt like I got played. And that's, and that's how that was. And Coach Coward and Dick LeBeau loved it. Joey, Paul, Joey Porter loved it. James Ferrer loved it. Um, Jason Gilded loved it. I was like, okay, we got a young pup. He's a damn dog. Like we can work with that with his athletic ability. And of course he's raw, but damn, we got a pit bull in the in the secondary. And I don't know at the time if they had a pit bull in the secondary. So I was always down to fight. Um, I fought too much on and off the field. I got to a point with Kevin Cobra and Mr. Rooney, Paul Paul Rooney, Dan Rooney at the time was like, if you keep getting in trouble in the offseason, we got to let you go. But that was my mentality on the field. So, yeah, those guys who, who played that position way longer than I did, but I felt like in my mind, you know, I was going to always go down swinging, whether it was on or off the field. So that's what my teammates loved and respect about me. Like, okay, if stuff don't go the way it needs to go, at least, at least I know I ain't going down with a, a nice little fight. I love it. Well, speaking of, you know, being a walk on, having to earn everything that you do, you know, everything that you've earned uh, and you certainly have, I want to talk about a teammate of yours who, who kind of had the same thing. He was undrafted James Harrison, man. We, I, we are big James Harrison fans on this podcast. Is it true you call him Debo, like Debo from Friday? Yeah, yeah, that's Debo. Like Debo, 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 like my big, I ain't going to say like, Debo like the big brother. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's, and he's another one, like, I think Debo is the youngest out of 12 or 13 kids. Correct me, I'm, I'm one off. So when you're the youngest, man, whether it's eating at the table or getting on a swing or just trying to get in, you got to fight your way through. And that's all Debo knew was fighting his way through life. And, you know, he 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 overcame a lot of odds. You know, that's that's just Debo. For a young man to go undrafted to be defensive player of the year, man, that's 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 <laughs> that's huge. You know what I'm saying? That's that's rare air. You know, but that's that's Debo. And then to this day, follow, to this day, if you follow Debo on Instagram, the man's still working out and training and lifting heavy, like you know, he's still trying to play. Wearing those sweatsuits. You know? I, I saw something uh, a couple of weeks ago. He said, "What, well, James, why do you always train in, uh, in sweatsuits, man? He's like, well, my arms are too big. I don't want to scare everybody else at the gym. <laughs> yeah, he, He's a bad he was being funny, but he was being for real. But at the same time, fellas, that's, that's, how we used to, that's how we used to work out in Pittsburgh. 
we used to have a boxer mentality. So regardless of whether it was 95 degrees out or, you know, we did opposite. When it was hot outside, we, wanted, we, we wore sweatsuits. When it was cold outside, we just wore cut off hoodies and some shorts. So that's, that's how we used to train and practice. Like we always figure, man, it was always a mind game when they come down to football. So you get these, these down South teams coming up to Pittsburgh in the wintertime, man, they're going to say it's cold as hell and everybody will be trying to bundle up. Well, you know what we're going to do? We're going to go out with no sleeves. It's negative five degrees. We're walking out on the field with no sleeves. We're going to lace up with this Vaseline on our arms and our face. And we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna kiss these, these MFers in the face. That's, that's what we're going to do. That was, our, that was our mentality. So we already that's understood. Odd. Like when we played Jacksonville early, when we played all the down south teams early and we was away, we knew they wanted to put us in the black uniforms so we can be hotter than normal. We didn't, get a, we didn't give an F about that. Because we trained in the summertime in sweatsuits. So it was like, we get what y'all are trying to do. We about to beat y'all at y'all own game. Hey, Ike, when you're, you know, there's different teams that are trying to, you know, assert themselves in the AFC Central. You've got the Browns and the Bengals. They have new quarterbacks. Their fans are anxious to assert themselves and, and you know, try and break into the top two. But you and I both know the most fierce rivalry in football is between the Steelers and the Ravens. Can you talk about your feelings about the Ravens? Um, you know, is there some respect there, but also not a lot of love, right? So what what, what are your thoughts yeah. about the Raven? You played in a lot of those huge games. I mean, you said it best. It's, it's a love-hate relationship. You know, you, I mean, if you look at the blueprint, you know, they followed our blueprint. Man, we're going to get us a, we're going to drive defensive guys who like to smack people in the face. We're going to get us a nice offensive line. We're going to get us a running game. We're going to get a quarterback from a cold-weather city who played all their life in the cold weather because that's how championships are made. Cold weather city quarterback guys. And we're gonna get some receivers who who, who make plays down the field for us. That's all we're gonna that's all we're gonna do. But we're gonna start off with this defense. That's what we're gonna do. And when us and the Ravens was going through these rival games, that was the blueprint. So we both felt like at the time, um, when I was playing from 2003 to 2014, like we were just mirroring each other when it came down to personalities and what you wanted from an organization. Hard-nosed defense, a running game, a lot of offensive linemen who go into the Pro Bowl, and a quarterback who played in cold weather in college. Yeah, and also just some incredibly vicious hits. You know, both sides have huge hits. I always remember the one Heinz Ward got on Ed Reed. Uh, but, you know, Talk about the Steeler culture a little bit, you know, the coaches, the fans, the players, you know, Steeler Nation, you know, what's it feel like when you have a road game and you look up in the stands and see all that black and yellow? Well, that started with the Roonies. That started, that started with Mr. Art Rooney. I'm talking about the aficionado, uh, cigar smoker, Art Rooney. That's what, that's what, that's what that started off in the 1930s, 1933. That's what, that's when all that started. So, when you have an owner whose door is wide open and it's a genuinely it's a genuine respect players come first and he tells that to his staff 
everybody else got to fall in line. So when everybody else falls in line, uh, when you see that as a player, it's like, okay, not only will I run through a brick wall for my teammates and my coaching staff because they get it. Why the hell they get it? They get it because they boss tells them, which is the Rooney's, hey man, it's a player's first, it's a player's first atmosphere. Okay, well, that makes a third person I'm gonna run through the wall for, the Rooney family. So when you see Mr. Art, who's the, 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 the president and owner now, who took from his dad when he passed away, when you see him come down and his door's wide open and you can always talk to him, regardless of what you got going on in your family, you can get advice from him. Um, when, when you see that door wide open and, it, and it's just bigger than football and he knows your wife name or your girlfriend name, some of your kids name and during Christmas time, he got presents for your kids. You like, shit, this family. So, you know, when it becomes football, football ain't football anymore. It's like, okay, you're trying to mess over my family. So then it becomes, <laughs> it, mentally it becomes bigger because we all know how we feel about our family, you know? So that's, that's just what it is, man. Regardless on who, what coach you bring in there. For me, I just felt like, man, it always started with the Rooney family. Absolutely love that, Ike. And you, you kind of touched on this, right? The Pittsburgh Steelers have an identity, right? They're going to hit you in the mouth on defense. They're going to run the ball down your throat with great running backs, great offensive line. I'm curious to get your take on the current state of the Steelers, right? Uh, seems like they're getting back to the running game. They drafted Najee Harris in the first round. You'd even mentioned uh, that they definitely need to get Big Ben some help with the running game and the offensive line so he doesn't need to tax his arm anymore. Do you think they've, they've achieved that this offseason? Yeah, but I say this all the time. That's going to be on seven. Seven got to want to hand the ball off. You know, seven got to understand the two, the two Super Bowls he did and when the three he been to, like, you had a top five defense. You had a top five defense. And you had Pro Bowl offense alignment. You made the plays when we needed you to make the plays. But we had a mean-ass run game. You know, the Deuce Staley's, the Jerome Bettis, the Willie Parkers and all them guys, like we had some, we had some the Najee Davenport's, like Abraham, we we had some, we had something good going, you know. So, and that's where they're getting back to, you know. Stats look good when it comes down to the route wide receivers. Statistically, that's good for fantasy football. But even Tom Brady knew, man, if you look at Tom Brady's stats, and we never talk about Tom Brady. We never talk about time like, okay, he's just wowing us with numbers during the regular season. Tom Brady knows I could, I'd rather win six, seven Super Bowls with a good defense, give me four minutes left in the game that's close, give me the last two drives, and y'all gonna forever win my name. Y'all gonna forever say my name. Tom Brady gets that. Now I think Ben gets that part. I mean, statistically, um, whether you're the problem or not, uh, of course, he's the first ballot Hall of Fame, Big big Ben I'm talking about. But at the same time, he and the organization understand, like, hey, by the end of the day, when you want to talk about playoff football, it's good defense, a running game, and we need a quarterback who can score on the last two possessions of the game, period. This has been going on for years. It would never change. Just like in basketball. In basketball, 
you can have all the points you want to, but the teams who win in the championships, they play good defenses, and whoever has the best free throw shooting percentage team team is going to win. That's just that's just it. it the recipe ain't changing. It, it ain't changing. So um, I think Seven understands that now he got him a young, he got him a stud at the running back position. Uh, he got a defense that had been top five for a long time. And during this time and generation, especially with free agency, you can't keep that kind of defense for long. So you might as well take advantage of it. You got a lot of guys in their prime, you know, you got the Tours, you got the Haywards, Devin Bush coming back, Vince came back, you lost Bud, but you got Highsmith, then you got TJ White, arguably the lead defensive MVP. You done traded for Minka. Minka is an all-pro, like Joe Hayden is a savvy vet. Like this, you you don't get this often. Take advantage yeah. of this. So when them guys on defense say, bro, can we just run the ball and give us a break? Just run the ball. I don't mind the 17, 14 games. I don't care what the media or the critics say. As long as we got all these left-hand column Ws, that's all that matters. So either we want to win fancy and have no identity, or we're going to win ugly and have an identity. Same thing the Cleveland Browns did. The Cleveland Browns, they was just winning ugly, but they had an identity. And you knew what the identity was. Nick Chubbs, Kareem Hunt. Regardless on OBJ, uh, Jarvis Landry, and all the fancy receivers they had on the outside, you knew when you played the Cleveland Browns, Nick Chubbs, Kareem Hunt. If we don't stop them, it's going to be hell. That's the same. That's the recipe the Pittsburgh Steelers is known for. And when they came into Pittsburgh, that's exactly what they did. We took y'all recipe and y'all game plan, and we did exactly what y'all didn't want to do for the whole season. Hey, Ike, take us through, you know, your post-career, you know, off the field. You know, COVID, how did you navigate COVID? Um, I heard something about kettlebells working out in the garage. Could you take us through, uh, you know, how you uh, you handled COVID in your family and yourself and uh, your workout uh, regimen? I ain't even know I caught I wound up catching COVID. I ain't even know I caught COVID. You know, like my doctor was like, she was like, well, you got a strong immune system because you was coming to me for six months and you had no symptoms. But she was like, I guess off of you eating and working out every day, your body just fought it without you even knowing. It. You know, she so was like, okay, so now you have the antibody. Cause I wound up doing a blood test. I did two blood tests. She was like, Ike, you got the antibody for it. And you know, just, just guessing the reason why you just fought it and didn't even know you had it was because of what you do, your style, your style of life. So um, that's how that was. But man, I had a, uh, I don't really talk to too many people except for our neighbors to the right or the left of me. I always try to go biblically when it comes down to taking care of your neighbors. So, you know, I take care of my neighbors beside me, but wind up doing the COVID and I wind up taking care of the whole neighborhood. Like I wind up changing my garage into a gym, you know? So Amazon, Amazon got a lot of money for me on what I did to my garage, but you know, moms felt good bringing their kids to me to get them out the house. Dads felt good where they could spend some time with their wives. 
you know, moms felt even better. They can get a little work done, whether it's doing work or cleaning up the house. Like I said, man, and I, you know, for sure, I'm not charging. Man, go on, bring your kids to me. You know, bring your kids to me for, you know, two or three hours, I got them. And uh, take care of whatever y'all need to take care of around the house, or if y'all need to run errands, go on and do that. So for me, I was just, I was just fortunate to give other people some breathing room, you know? And then when you get done working their kids, they wind up coming to work out. It felt good when mom was like, man, I haven't worn these pants since high school. So I was like, man, and dads, you know, they having a lot more energy. They're more confident about themselves. So I said, okay, this what this what I'm here for. I'm, 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 I'm here to serve. It's, it, I'm here to serve other people. So whatever you need from from Ike, this is what I'm this this is what I can, you know, this is what I'm available for. So, you know, that for me, that pandemic was a blessing and a curse for a lot of people. But you know, I feel like my neighborhood, my community um, have gotten closer because of that pandemic. And I feel like, man, I had a lot to do with that. Yeah, well, Ike, man, this has been a lot of fun, but we, we want to wrap it up with this. We're about running out of time. Look, you've had a lot of reason to celebrate in your career, two-time Super Bowl winner. With me, when I think about celebration, one of my favorite modes is, is smoking a cigar, right? A little stogie. Now, you've got your own line now with Howard Cigars, and I would just love to hear a little bit about that. How, how'd that come about? And, you know, what was your involvement in that process getting your line there with Howard Cigars? So it's Howard G. Cigars. Howard so G. Howard, he's a, he's a three, he's four years younger than me, but I call him the mayor of Orlando because he just knows everybody. You know what I'm saying? But he's a very personable person. Like he gets along, he can meet Greek, he can talk to anybody. So um, me, I'm kind of, I ain't gonna, ain't gonna say I'm kind of standoffish. Like I'm, I'm just not gonna approach you. Howard, he, he, he don't mind approaching you. So I've been smoking cigars since like 2010. Um, I've been smoking a real good cigar since like 2012. So he launched, Howard launched his own line. And he was like, bro, what you think about getting yours? And we have it all pro series. And I was like, man, all right. And I was like, bro, I want to go through the process of really knowing these cigars. So it's crazy, man. One day, I smoked, one day, I smoked 40 cigars in one day. And and it was it was to I had to narrow it down to five to get it to my palate. So my palate is different, it's just like drinking wine, red wine. Some people like cab, some people like Pinot, some people like Mar Marlowe's. It's the same thing with smoking cigars. Some people like a mild, some people like mild to medium, some people like bold, depending on what you like to smoke in your palate. So it took me four cigars to get down to five and get down to three. So I got down to three and I said, okay, we had to go to Nicaragua. And then after Nicaragua, we had to go to Lancaster, PA. When the Lancaster, PA, then we're getting our stuff wrapped in Connecticut. So it's 8% Nicaragua, it's 20%, uh, shout out to the Amish, 20% Lancaster, PA, and it's wrapped in the Sumatra wrap from Connecticut. So it took about a year and a half. Bro, so during that pandemic, I hate to say it, that's when I was moving. I'm like, man, I, when somebody smoked my cigar, they smoking the Ike Taylor cigar. They they not smoking somebody else's cigar and they put an Ike Taylor name on it. They smoking what this this is me. You know what I'm saying? So this is this is this is my baby. 
you know? So that's, I went through the process. So, I, you know, I, that's, that's what I appreciated about that, man. Just, just going through the process of understanding, knowing cigars, going to the factories, see what's a good tobacco, what's not a good tobacco, how to take care of your tobacco. Uh, tobaccos just varies from people's palates. And I like to compare them to a drink of wine. So, yeah, that's where I'm at, man. The one-of-a-kind cigars, um, honestly, man, our cigars been taking off. We'll be in, we will be in Vegas July 9th through the 12th because there's a cigar convention and we'll be pro promoting our cigars at the time. So, yeah, Howard G, he got like six lines of his cigars, my homeboy. They're called Black Moses. Um, Leon Cersei. Mr. Kevin, I know you I know you know Leon Cersei. He was the first first round draft pick for Coach Cowell coming out Absolutely of Miami. Uh, out of Miami, right? Yeah, coming out of University of Miami. So he's he's on the line as well. So that's where we at with it, man. We just uh we just our motto is man, we just want to be a part of your human being. That's 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 our motto, our slogan. So that's why I'm at with it with the cigars, fellas. Absolutely love it, Ike, man. That's awesome. Yeah, be sure. Our listeners out there, check out One of a Kind line with Howard G. Cigars. Check them out in Vegas if you're out there. No, no real excuse needed to go to Vegas July 9th through the 12th. <laughs> also got his podcast, Believe in Steelers podcast. If you haven't seen it, you should. It's awesome. Ike Taylor, you were the man. Thank you so much for the time, man. Man, fellas, Ryan and Kev, man, appreciate y'all inviting me on the show. Um, that topic hit exactly how I feel in life. I'm going to walk on and I'm going to walk on show. I love it, man. You, you are the, the pillar of success from a walk-on standpoint and a two-time Super Bowl champion. Ike, thanks, man. Appreciate y'all. All right, our thanks to Ike Taylor. That was an absolutely legendary interview. I don't think Ike comes with anything other than legend status. Uh, be sure to check out his podcast, Believe in Steelers podcast. Also check out his cigar line with, I should get this right, Howard G. Cigars. Howard G. Cigars, one-of-a-kind cigar line, Ike Taylor absolute legend now kevin we were hitting on the nba before we brought on ike and you'd mentioned offline you've got a little something a little beef with one of, one of my favorite commentators doris burke what is the deal with you and doris man what'd she do to you how'd she yeah you? you know ryan i gotta just say uh her voice to me it's like nails on a chalkboard you know and i think she talks a lot i know you're gonna find that to be objectionable hearing that from me but her verbosity i think she crowds out the play-by-play -play guy that she works with um, you know, by the sheer volume of her output, I think it would just be interesting to hear something from her ever that is funny or insightful or interesting. I'm waiting. The next time Doris Burke says something funny or insightful will be the first time. And my biggest problem with Doris Burke is objectivity, right? So she did the Jazz Clippers game and she was just fawning all over Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert's every move. I mean, there weren't enough superlatives for her to shed, just bestow upon these players. And, you know, I don't know if Joe Ingles is a blood relative. I don't know if Doris bet on the series. I don't know what's going on, but my eardrums are bleeding and I can't take it anymore. So for the love of God, ESPN, let's end this experiment or at least take Doris Burke off of Jazz Clipper games. That's all. There you have it. Strong feelings from a guy who I've never heard even talk bad about a fly. And that's uh, Doris Burke. You have been warned. You've been put on blast ESPN. You too. I mean, get it right. Jeez. Tell them, tell them what time it is, Kevin. I love it, man. Wait, listen, I wouldn't, I would be remiss if I didn't just jump over to baseball really quickly, because of course the hot topic 
the sticky substance, the spider attack, the rosin, the sunscreen, call it what you will. So, of course, as everybody knows now, MLB has now imposed this new rule where basically pitchers can't use, quote unquote, anything, right? No, no sunscreen, no rosin. I mean, God forbid you could even lick your lick your fingers. I think the interesting thing here is Tyler Glass now, ace of the staff uh, in Tampa Bay there. You've got a great flow. He's you've got a great look about him. Um, the guy, you know, throws cheese, 97, 98. He has a partial tear in his UCL ligament in his elbow, and he went on uh, on a pretty good rant and a pretty honest rant, I think. Uh, you know, the one thing I'll throw out aside is he, he did say, well, what are we supposed to do, play by the rules? Well, yeah, but here's the problem. The rule is freaking stupid. Uh, I, I don't – I think what Tyler Glasnow is saying is true, right? This, is, this has been a – an ongoing thing. Pitchers use something to get the grip on the ball. It doesn't matter what it is. And they've been using it for years. It's been something that's been swept under the rug. Meanwhile, batters can use pine tar. They can use that little spray. They got six, seven different things. So you've got all kinds of guys coming out. Of course, Trevor Bauer, who always got to get in on the action. He's got his take on it. But I think the most interesting thing is what Tyler Glass now said. And he's right. You can't just tell players that, hey, we know this is a problem. We're going to wait until the end of the season to fix it. And then the uproar from the fans and, you know, the, the Twitter trolls has gotten so hot that Rob Manfred just recoils into his cave and says, all right, we're changing this midseason. So, Kevin, I know you don't have a lot on this, but one thing I want to ask, uh, ask you about is, can you think of any time in sports that you could even equate this to, right? Literally changing the rules, changing the way guys are performing and, and you know, preparing for starts in the middle of a season? I mean, is this like the NBA, like changing a ball mid-season? I mean, what, what would you equate this to on a level of, you know, some other sport? Yeah, I mean, I think you're making a, a great point. I don't know if there is anything to compare it to, but could this be Major League ba Baseball reacting to the dramatic decrease in offensive output, batting averages, runs scored, homers? Um, you know, obviously, Major League Baseball is – you know, they want the game to be standing on its own, but also, you know, post COVID, you know, those owners want to see the seats filled and, you know, maybe the pitchers having such a jump on the hitters this year has alarmed the league and possibly this is just a bad decision and an overreaction to some of the, some of the offensive output so far. Yeah, I think that's fair. Look, here, here's my last point on it. Uh, yes, the, the offensive output has been the worst since 1968. And before that, 1901. I mean, it's bad baseball, right? The strikeouts are up. Every guy throws 98. It's basically all or nothing. A guy's either going to hit a home run or strike out. You, you've got games that are 2-1. I mean, I think that the Tigers have already had 30 games where they've scored two or less, which is just, it's just bad baseball. Nobody wants to see it. But the problem is Rob Manfred has absolutely no idea what he's doing. He's, he's not a former player. He doesn't get it. He's just, he's so, he's so susceptible to peer pressure that it, he just has no business being a commissioner. Yes. The offensive output is embarrassing. Yes. It needs to change, but you don't change it in the middle of the season because at the end of the day, the biggest assets that you have as a commissioner of a sports league is your players. And I don't think Tyler Glasnow is going to be the last guy who's going to go on the shelf as a pitcher because he's had to change the way he prepares because he has to change the way that he throws a ball or grips a ball. So that is the big problem. Yes. The offense is bad, but fix it at the end of the season. Don't fix it in the middle of the season. Rob Manfred, you're an idiot for doing that. So there, there you go. And I, I really, really truly hope that we're not going to see a lot of, a lot of big name pitchers go on the shelf because of this. But Kevin, we are almost out of time, so I want to throw it to you, my man. What? Who is your dude of the week? Dude of the week. So that's a good thing, right? The dude yep. of the week. 
I, hey, I think it's PG-13, the redemption story. It will only matter, though, if the Clippers clinch tonight. Um, finish it off. I'm hoping to see PG-13 have a very good, solid game or a great game, get support from the, uh, you know, the, the supporting cast, and then it's all good, right? So um, due to the week, I think PG-13, his redemption story, um, hope he finishes it off tonight. There you go. Well, yeah, he'll, he'll certainly make you look very good if he does help help the Clippers finish it off. But my dude of the week, you guys all know him and love him already. The Suns in four, dude. Everybody's seen the video. I don't need to hash that out. But here's the thing. Not only is the Suns in four, dude, an absolute legend in a viral video where he just kicked the crap out of a, a you know, a sucker punching kind of jerk bully Nuggets fan, but he's my dude of the week because I don't think he might be the first dude in the history of this new era where everybody has phones. Every fight that breaks out is on a phone. It goes viral. He's the first dude who's actually been able to ride into the sunset with it, right? He's been on Barstool podcast. He's got Devin Booker reaching out to him. He's going to get tickets. Uh, he got a signed Booker jersey. He's going to get tickets to the Western Conference Finals. Most of the time, if you're in a fight, doesn't matter if you're, you know, if, if you're, uh, worried about you know somebody's safety if you're fighting for your own self-defense most of the time if a fight happens you're going to get legal action you're going to get sued you can't talk about it sons and four dude not only kick the crap out of somebody you know for everybody to see in front of 16,000 fans in denver and it's now viral but the guy also gets to enjoy a little bit of it so that's my dude due to the week sons and four dude you're the man legend sorry kevin so who's your dud Dud of the week's got to be LeBron James, right? The omniscient one. He knows best for all, including the NBA. And he he predicted this uh, the string of injuries that we're having right now. Never mind that it doesn't really match the facts. In other words, Donovan Mitchell stepping on a guy's ankle. A few other guys did the same thing. Those don't sound like injuries that are from attrition. They sound like injuries that happen because injuries happen in basketball. But LeBron James, I think, is really struggling outside of the spotlight. He's not used to being out after the first round. So the poor guy's changed his jersey number two or three times, and now he's coming out with these tweets. He's tweeting more often than Donald Trump, and his tweets don't make any sense. So I, I don't know. The guy, you know, he, he, if you read that tweet carefully, too, he kind of mangles the English language. So LeBron is not doing himself any favors. I know he's got legions of followers out there, but I'm not one of them. So he's my dead of the week. I agree with that. I think, you know, obviously the what he, what we're talking about here, I think the bigger dud is maybe just the NBA player health, right? We mentioned this earlier in the show. Potentially, if CP3 misses a game in the Western Conference Finals, that's nine different All-Stars who've missed a playoff game this season. That's the most in NBA history. Uh, yes, maybe is it attributed to the short offseason, potentially. But yeah, LeBron James just having to get involved. He has to be in the news cycle. He doesn't know what to do with himself. He's tweeting about, you know, he's tweeting about this changing his jersey he's talking about oh i'm going to play for the tune squad and not us team usa in the summer lebron just needs to maybe go away and take some rest and drink your wine or do whatever you got to do but my doubt of the week it's it's not the euro cup which is happening right now but it's espn um if everybody's probably seen this by now but christian erickson the uh, danish soccer player he's the danish star he was the best uh best player that denmark has to offer he suffered a really really scary cardiac arrest moment I don't think anybody who watches sports live has maybe seen anything that scary he was down for 10 to 15 minutes thank god he's okay he actually he just got released from the hospital today so thank goodness but ESPN I mean cut to commercial do something go to the studio don't show this guy I mean the credit to the Denmark team all all 10 guys they just crowded around and they created a semicircle so that the, you know you couldn't see and so ESPN says well oh, I guess we're not going to cut to commercial let's show his wife on the field weeping her eyes out thinking your husband's dead uh, so ESPN do better you're the dud of the week 
And that's all the time we have today for the Walk-Ons Podcast, Friday, June 18th, 2021. The triumphant return of Kevin Carlin. You're the man, buddy. This was fun. Thanks, Ryan. Had a great time. All right. That's all for us. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. The Walk-Ons.